0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Amen. Good to see you this morning. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to the scripture that Tyler just read for us in Luke chapter 2. This is week 3 for us in a series that we call Advent. Advent is a uh, Christian church tradition that has gone on for quite a few centuries now that we set aside the four weeks before uh, what we celebrate as Christmas to talk about Advent. The word Advent just simply means the coming or the arrival of something. And uh, Talking about the Advent of Jesus means that we're celebrating what it means means that Jesus came into the world and with him he brought hope. So week one we talked about the advent of the coming of hope uh, into the world. Last week we talked about uh, what it means that Jesus brings peace. Uh, And today we're going to talk about joy. What does it mean that Jesus, when he came and invaded human history, uh, as one of us in the human race, he brought with him joy. Joy. Uh, This time of year, there's a lot of talk about joy, Uh, joy all over the place. It's marketed. There's mugs that you find with the Christmas season that talk about joy, Uh, T-shirts that will talk about joy, Uh, songs both Christian and non-Christian this time of year that talk about joy. We just sang Joy to the World, and I'm sure that you'll hear that uh, in different places, maybe even playing in the mall if you so dare go to the mall this time of year. Uh, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant, all all the songs that we talk about this time of year talk about joy, and sometimes uh, I just want to really lay before you as we set the table for uh, trying to to understand what does it mean that Jesus truly is the key uh, to human happiness and to human joy. Uh, I think we need to at least uh, talk about uh, a reality because a reality is a lot of times for many of us, uh, the holiday seasons are not the most joyful times. Uh, You don't feel uh, joyful. Sometimes they bring incredible difficulty. Uh, Sometimes Sometimes holiday seasons remind us of relational stress that we have uh, in our lives, or maybe financial stress uh, that are taking place. And uh, maybe it's a reminder that there's an empty chair uh, this year that was filled with a loved one last year. And so I know, just navigating through life, that oftentimes holidays are the hardest times. And so when you hear and you see all these uh, these ideas about joy, and yet you feel maybe that that's not you right now, uh, this is what I want to lay before you that. Uh, that this announcement that some angels made about this this baby that was going to be born that would be the key to joy, uh, it, the, the prerequisite of that Christmas joy is not having joy, right? Or, or maybe it's better to say it this way, that Jesus came to give joy not to those people that already had it, uh, but to those people that need it, to those people that want it, to those people that maybe can't uh, seem to find it. And so maybe you have this temptation uh, with anything going on in your life to Think I don't know. Christmas is not for me because they're talking about joy, and that's just not me. Uh, The 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 joy of Jesus uh, is precisely for those who maybe don't have it, maybe don't feel it, maybe desperately want it. I just wanted to lay that before you before we jump into this text. Uh, Joy is one of the really the epicenters or the heart of of Christmas of the Christmas season, or really more importantly of the gospel itself, Uh, because joy is important to the human experience. Uh, we want joy. Uh, we, we, we look for things in our life that are going to bring us joy. We avoid things that we perceive are going to uh, take our joy. And that's really what uh, happens with this birth announcement in Luke chapter 2. Uh, how many of you have ever gotten a birth announcement? four. Awesome. Uh, Sometimes we get Christmas cards, right? You get a Christmas card and you get some pictures and you get to celebrate. Sometimes you get uh, an announcement from someone that they're uh, pregnant and they're excited and they're expecting a child. So God decides he's going to prep his people by sending a birth announcement and he doesn't do it through a four by six printed card. He does it through some angels that show up and break into human history and have this huge monumental declaration that Christmas is coming. Prepare yourself. God is sending a special gift into the World in Luke chapter 2. If you are there, say ready. Let's say it one more time. If you're there in Luke 2, or if you can see the screen behind me, say ready. Ready. Here we go. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Um, This story that we are looking at is probably. Uh, fairly familiar to you, Um, but we're going to back up, and I just want to look at some of the characters and some of the things that are taking place uh, to set the stage for this monumental declaration of joy. So the first people that were introduced here are to some shepherds. Uh, Now, if you were just, you didn't have the Bible, you didn't have history, you just really had our culture and uh, media to try to understand some of the players in the Bible, Uh, our, our perception of things gets a little bit skewed, right? I think if you just kind of look at our culture's perception of shepherds in the Bible with all the nativity scenes and all the artwork, uh, you get kind of this like pansy view of a shepherd. You get this idea there's a picture of some young kid, and he's just kind of got nice flowing hair, and he's got all sorts of product, and his nails are done uh, really well, and he's cuddling this cute, tiny little lamb, and he's just super kind and nice. Uh, And uh, while there may have been some shepherds like that, uh, the predominant... A shepherd in the first century would have been much more akin to a West Texas cowboy. Uh, They would have been really rough, really tough. Uh, They would have been able to survive for days and weeks in the wilderness, uh, sleeping on a bedroll in the wintertime with only a campfire to keep them warm. They had to be willing, ready, and able uh, to fend off lions and uh, tigers and bears. Oh, my I'm just kidding. There were no tigers, but there were lions uh, and there were bears, and a shepherd would have to be uh, tough enough that he could defend the sheep by killing these predators, killing lions, killing bears. They had to be strong enough to uh, fend off uh, rustlers or people that might come in at night, bandits, to try to steal the sheep. So shepherds, just think of a really incredibly tough man that could live his life out in the woods with some animals, taking care of them, uh, wandering the mountains at night looking for sheep if one wandered off. Uh, that's really the idea of, of who these men were where this declaration showed up. They were in the same region. Shepherds, put that type of band in your mind, out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord Appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. If we were just left to artwork and uh, movies, then we, we don't have a really accurate perception of a biblical angel, right? If you're just left to kind of what our culture gives us, this idea, then you kind of get a picture of an angel as sometimes, I don't know why this is, but they look very uh, non-threatening, uh, always dressed really nice. Sometimes they're a little chubby baby with a diaper and a bow and arrow, and they're flying around, you know, suction cup arrows that people to instill love in them. And you just kind of get this idea that, oh, angels, are so cute. They're so nice. We've got this guardian angel. And uh, if you open up the pages of the Bible, that that's not where you're going to land, right? Uh, An angel was a terrifying being that spoke for God and was a personal messenger for God, and they show up in quite a few places in the Old Testament, quite a few places in the New Testament, although if you just look at history, uh, I think even biblically, it's just very rare for God to need to send an angel. Uh, When he uh, kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, do you remember this story? Uh, When they were banished from the garden because of their rebellion, he set up two angels to guard them, and they weren't dressed in diapers, and they didn't look nice. They were warriors to keep them out, right? Uh, When God decided he was going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he sends two angels that were uh, pretty manly, terrifying beings. It sounds like if you read the story in Genesis, Um, how many of you remember uh, Isaiah's vision in the year that King Uzziah died in Isaiah chapter 6? He sees this vision of, of Jesus before Jesus had a body. 700 years before Jesus was born, Jesus still existed. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And he just sees this unbelievable picture. The whole place is filled with smoke. And there's these created beings, these angels that he calls seraphim um, that were flying around saying glory, 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 giving God glory. They had tongs holding hot coals. And and you get this picture that angels are not to be messed with. They're not to be trifled with. They are strong, powerful, potentially scary beings. And so that's the picture of who shows up to these shepherds. The angel of the Lord, we don't know which angel it was. There's only two angels in the Bible that are spoken of by name. Maybe it was one of them, maybe not. But an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they, the shepherds, the tough men that had lived their lives in the mountains, defending their sheep against predators, against bandits, they were filled with, what does it say, with great... Fear. What would cause a man that was that strong and that tough to all of the sudden be filled with great fear when an angel shows up? I'm glad that you asked. Two things. Number one, angels can be very terrifying. Again, if you read through the Bible, they are not on the same playing field visually as humans. They are uh, incredibly powerful beings that speak for God. Um, so first off, they, they, they just have an overwhelming presence often, and second, and maybe more importantly, I think the, the shepherds knew that the angels were the ones that got to speak for God, and so they had no idea. We know what the angels said. They didn't know. They just know somebody here is on behalf of God, and maybe that's not good news for us. How many of you have ever had a conversation where somebody in your life that represented uh, power or authority over you um, just kind of popped in to your office or to your life and says, hey, we need to talk? Uh, when I used to work at Dallas Baptist University, I'll never forget uh, one day I was sitting in my office minding my own business, working hard, and my intercom uh, just uh, goes off, and it was the president of the university, and he said, Jason, I need you to be in my office in three minutes. Okay, thank you, bye. And what did did I not think? I wasn't like, probably a raise. (laughs) He's probably so pleased with my attitude and performance. He just wants to call me in here and tell me face-to-face, right? Uh, That's normally not where we go first. Uh, How many of you, your spouse has said, hey, sit down, we need to talk? Anybody? You're probably not, great, <laughs> you're just going to praise the, the way I've behaved recently. Maybe you get your boss, I don't know if they've ever just walked into your office and said, hey, we need to talk, um, but uh, you might uh, begin uh, running through this, uh, your memory and your mind thinking about what you've done, what you haven't done. Uh, I was told this week that I'm not allowed to do that anymore, uh, just to drop into staff members' office and say, hey, we need to talk, Chase, sit down because they just anticipate right? something bad. And so like, if you're a shepherd and an angel shows up that speaks for God, I'm just sure that there was a lot of things running through their mind that the angel could have said. So let's talk about a few of them. What could the angels have said? If the angels were sent from God down to these roughneck shepherds that were working out, pulling all-nighters in the middle of the desert, what could the shepherd have shown up and said? He could have shown up and said hey guys uh, I know what you did last summer all right I'm so sorry I couldn't avoid it they could say I know what you did last night you know They could have showed up and they're, they're thinking, oh my gosh, a messenger from God is here. He knows what I've done. He knows what I've thought. They could have showed up and said, hey, we've uh, been looking on your web browser. Uh, we need to talk for a few minutes. Um, they could have showed up and uh, just began working through the Ten Commandments um, just to see how they have been doing. Maybe they showed up and said, hey, uh, remember this one about not lying? Oh, we need to talk for a minute. Uh, Remember this commandment about uh, keeping the Sabbath? Uh, Sit down. We need to just have a chat for a few minutes. Hey, guys, remember this commandment about thou shalt have no other gods um, before me, nothing that is more important, nothing that is more uh, supreme, that is more valuable to you than God himself. They very easily uh, could have showed up and said that. Uh, They could have showed up with any list of sins that these men have. They could have showed up and said, do you remember the time when you said you are going to stop this and start this, and it was just an empty promise, and yet here we are with the same situation. They could have showed up and talked about uh, perhaps the lack of faith. Um, they could have showed up with just a list of more rules or things that uh, these gentlemen should have been doing. They, 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 should have, they, they could have showed up with a lot of bad news. Are you all with me? So they were terrified. A a, a being from heaven shows up, and they begin to think, "Uh uh-oh, this could go very poorly for us if God is calling me to account today. But what did the angels say? They show up to some shepherds, and these angels begin to declare, verse 10, and the angels said to them, fear not. We we could spend so many weeks just talking about not just the idea and the words "Fear not," they're unbelievably pervasive throughout the entire Bible, but just how, how how perfect timing that is for these shepherds that were thinking all the things that the angels could have said. And the angels show up and they say, "Calm down, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to who? To all people." That's what the angels show up to the shepherds and they say. Uh, I, th- there Maybe some bad news was an option. That's not why we're here. We bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Let's unpack those things really quick. Uh, they brought good news. Everybody say, please, everybody say with a smile on their face good news. The Bible is about good news, all right? If you're new to Christianity, maybe you don't know that. Maybe you don't feel that. Maybe the Christians you know don't represent that really well. Sometimes we don't. Um, but the Bible is about good news, not bad news. Is there bad news involved? Yes, there's bad news involved. We're sinners. We've rebelled against God. The good news is he's taken it upon himself, sent his son to do something special for us in what we call the gospel. The word gospel, if you were to sum up the entire book of the Bible, bestseller, greatest book that's ever been written, or the entire idea of Christianity, when you boil it all down, we describe it and package it as something that we call what? The gospel, which is it's the word evangelion that means good news. Just to If I were to just give, be able to pick two words to describe to you Christianity, this is what I would say, it's good news. And so they talk about, it's good news, it's an evangelion, it's a message of something good. They said, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy, not even just joy, big, strong, robust, great joy that if we are honest, you and I want you and I were designed by God to, to be filled with joy. I don't know if you know this, but God is a joyful God. His disposition is joyful. First Timothy chapter 1, um, the Apostle Paul says this. He's writing a letter to young protege Timothy. and In chapter 1, verse 11, he says, this, this is all in accordance with the gospel, which means good news. This is all in accordance with the good news of the glory of the blessed God. With which I have been entrusted. And that word blessed, uh, it's kind of fumbled a little bit in uh, the translation into English. It very precisely means happy. Paul is describing God as a happy God in this verse, that God's disposition is joy. He is a joyful God. Some of you know people like this, they just have a joyful disposition. Does that mean that they never get angry? No. They just have a joyful disposition. My wife, I would put uh, right up there at the top with people that have a very joyful disposition. That is her default setting, to be full of joy. Does that mean that she doesn't have moments where she's angry? Uh, No. If you mess with our kids, may the mercy of God be upon you, right? Even though she has a joyful disposition, describes who she is, um, she can defend her own. Jesus, I believe, had a joyful disposition, he, he was just he was a man that was filled with joy. people loved to be around him, especially people uh, that were broken, people that were sinners because Jesus was filled with joy. Does that mean he didn't get angry? Absolutely not. He had some moments where he was angry enough to uh, throw some tables over and to chase some money collectors out of the temple uh, with a whip. He had some moments where he was uh, righteously angry, had some moments where he was distraught enough to cry, but yet his disposition is a disposition of joy, and so God, being a joyful God, wants to share his joy with his people. That's what Christmas is about. That's part of what it means when we celebrate Advent, that Jesus, coming into the world, uh, was on a mission to deliver us the joy of God. I bring you good news of great joy. Now well, let's take a time out for just a moment and try to imagine. You have to give me a little bit of creative license on this, but try to imagine uh, what was potentially taking place in the lives of these shepherds. Okay, we don't even we don't know how many there were. We don't know if they were godly, if they were pagans. We don't know much about their lives. Um, but I think it would probably be safe to think that all of them were not just completely put together. And it's probably safe to say they all just weren't incredibly righteous men that had just really not many problems in their lives. Um, they probably didn't wake up this morning just thinking this. they're just in the Christmas spirit and they've got all sorts of joy and there's no problems. What if one of them uh, had uh, found out that they had some type of sickness? Um, in our terms, you can think of it as maybe they found out they had cancer and so they wake up that morning not really filled with joy, filled with fear, filled with with uh, anxiety. Maybe one of them had some pretty serious marriage problems, had a massive fight with his wife the night before, and so wakes up wondering if his marriage is going to survive. Uh, Maybe one of them was a faithful man, uh, read the Old Testament, believed in Yahweh, prayed, went to the temple, and his children were uh, running away from the Lord. Uh, Perhaps that weighed very heavily uh, on his mind. Perhaps there were some that were lonely, some that were depressed, some that uh, woke up hungover from the night before and had struggles with alcohol, I think it would be much more accurate to imagine that the shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night were not men that were already filled with joy. Perhaps they were men that desperately wanted it and desired it. And that's what I mean to say the message of Christmas doesn't mean, yay, for all you people who already have joy. It's a message for those who need it and those who want it and those perhaps who can't find it. For who? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All people. It's... It's, it's incredible to me that God is going to send an angel from heaven to talk about the birth of his son. And he doesn't send the angel to the pastors. He doesn't send the angel to the priests. He doesn't send it to the, the seminary of the day. He doesn't send them into uh, the temple where those who were serving the Lord. He sends the, sh- the angel to the shepherds that were out working in the fields. And he says, I've got good news of great joy that will be to all people. And really means all the peoples. It means every people group on the planet planet. It means the Jews and the Gentiles have access to this good news of great joy. It means black, white, every color in between. It means slave, free, man, woman. Every human being is going to have access to this good news of great joy, whether you're a sinner or whether you're self-righteous means whether you know you're far from God or you think you're not, but you still are. Everyone, all in between, no matter where you're at, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to who? That will be to all people. And then he links it to the thing that we tr- really need to pay attention to. Because our, our culture loves everything so far, right? It's just like, who wouldn't love that? Who wouldn't love a God that has come to give everybody on the planet equal amounts of good news and great joy? But then the angels give us the link to what in the how is he going to bring this about? How does God plan on bringing joy in this advent of joy? What is the conduit through which God brings joy? Verse 11. For, which means because, or it's a link. We've got good news, great joy. For all people, for because unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I just you just have to imagine again that the shepherds are thinking me <laughs> like I understand maybe you you've come for somebody else but me Jesus some some. Random baby in Bethlehem was born for me, and yet he says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, and here's the operative word, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The link between the joy of Christ and that being present in your life is Jesus as a Savior. Jesus has come to save us really from uh, this joyless life. And I want to unpack a few ways that very theologically and yet very practically, uh, this is the key to, to, to joy in the human experience. I think this is Pastor James's favorite verse, but uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, uh, it's phrased in a little different way. It's when uh, God speaks, uh, I believe through a dream, to Joseph, and he says, don't be afraid uh, to marry Mary. Uh, I'm sure he was nervous because they had not known each other, and she was pregnant. And so he was really at a crossroads and God speaks to him and says, don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then here here it is. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a savior and he saves people from their sins which steal their joy. There's a direct link between all of this. Like I don't know who you are, what is going on in your life, but I could probably sit down and listen to some of your story, and if you explain to me the things that hurt you the most or that steal your joy, in one way or another, what you are describing is the effect of sin, whether it's sin in your own life or sin against you from someone else. Sin is what is stealing your joy. Maybe it has to do with how somebody is, is harming you or, or talking bad about you or, or, or has deceived you or has betrayed you, that sin, and it hurts and it steals joy. Maybe it has to do with fear or anxiety uh, of, of not having this, this, this peace of Christ. Maybe it has to do with an addiction that you just simply can't seem to kick that is stealing your joy. At the end of the day, most of our problems stem from sin, whether it's our sin or someone else's sin And so the angels show up and they say, we've got good news, great joy that will be to all people because unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, and we steal from Matthew 1, who will save his people from their sins. So what does that mean exactly for us in this Advent season? Number one, Jesus as a Savior has come to save us from the penalty of sins, Okay, this is a a very basic biblical truth that sinners have violated God's law. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? death, but the gift of God is, uh, is, is free through Christ Jesus. It's eternal life. He says what, what we have done is we have sinned and we've earned something. There's a penalty for our sin. There's a cause and effect. If we violate God's laws, there's a, there's a penalty for that. And Jesus has come to take that penalty for us so that he might remove that from us. Why did Jesus have to live a perfect life? Because you and I can't. Why did Jesus die the death that he did on the cross? To satisfy God's justice, to satisfy uh, God's righteousness, to satisfy God's demand um, that justice should happen. See, we, we love justice, right? Our culture loves the idea of justice. We hate injustice unless it's talking about us. If it's just us, we just like we love grace and mercy, right? And we want justice for everyone else. If God is truly just, then all sin must be punished. And so Jesus was punished on our behalf so that he might save those who put their faith and trust in him as a savior. And and our culture doesn't like that nearly as much as just the good news of great joy because there's an element of humility that has to take place in your heart where you come to the point where you say, you know what, I, I am what the Bible says. I'm a sinner. I've broken God's commands. I'm under his righteous judgment, and I need to be saved. Jesus saves us from the penalty of our sins, giving us an eternal joy. Second thing, he saves us not just from the penalty of sin forever, but from the power of sin today. Okay, theologically, biblically, we looked at this pretty in depth walking through the first part of Romans. Uh, we, are sl- we were born really in, in, in slavery. We, we were born enslaved to sin that tends to steal our joy. This is why it's so difficult to, to kick a bad habit, right? This is why if there's something going on in your life, maybe some kind of addiction, something that, uh, some habit that you have that's hurting your relationships, why can't we just turn them off? Why can't we just decide we're not going to do that anymore and we still struggle with things? Why can we make uh, promises and uh, these things uh, on January 1st that we're never going to do because we know they steal our joy? And yet it's so hard. What in the world is going on that we can't kick the things that we hate the most? The Bible says we're slaves to sin. If sin says to do something, we obey um, because they're the master, we're the slave, and Jesus has come to break the chains of, of sin, not just the penalty of sin forever, but the power of sin in your life today. Think about whatever sin it is that's causing you the most harm, the most damage, that's the thief of your joy. Jesus came to break the power of that sin in your life to put you back on the track of joy. He came to save us from the penalty of sin. He came to save us from the power of sin. So, I mean, this is this is true in, in my life. I know it's the story of so many people in this room. This is what... The Bible says takes place when you become a Christian, you're forgiven once and for all, your sins are covered, you're you're, you're not treated as though uh, you're a sinner anymore because you're covered with the blood of Jesus, but also the Holy Spirit comes in to break you free from sins in your life here now today so that you no longer have to obey them. You get to obey God who's a God of joy. You get to follow and obey God, and that's truly the path to joy. Does that mean Christians don't sin anymore? No, but it means we don't have to. It means we don't have to. It means we have a new master, that Jesus is our new master, and if it truly if you want your life to be marked by joy, you're going to need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to to, to conquer and be stronger than your inclination to sin. He saves us from the power today right now of sin. Number 3, he saves us to his presence. So when we talk about Jesus as a savior, there's certain things he saves us from, but it's it's really important to understand what he saves us to because he doesn't just save us from hell You know, like, heaven's not reserved for people that are just scared of going to hell. It's reserved for people who realize they've been saved to God, to a relationship with God through Christ. So we're saved from Satan. We're saved from sin. We're saved from uh, the penalty of our sin, the presence of sin, the power of sin. But we're saved to a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And I want to read something that Jesus himself said. So when the angels show up and they say unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, he would be born, he would live his, his perfect life, and he would uh, do that in our place. And before he would go to the cross in John chapter 5, uh, he would talk about um, wanting to give this gift of joy to his people. So the angel said it's going to happen. He is going to bring joy. And Jesus tells us really how he's going to do that. John chapter 15, verse 5, you can turn there or it's going to be on the screen. And what he's talking about is saving us not just from things, but to a relationship with Jesus, which is the key to your joy. The key to ongoing joy in your life has to do with a relationship with Jesus. This is how Jesus himself says it. I am the vine, which is the source of life or the source of really joy in this instance. I am the vine and you are the branches. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about people that have put their their faith and their hope in him as a savior. I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides. And that, that, that word very simply means stay relationally connected to. Right to, to stay relationally connected to. He says, whoever stays relationally connected with me, abides in me, remains in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And then we skip a few verses down to verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, as, as much as God the Father has loved God the Son, Jesus. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Somebody, we just need to stop right there. You just need to soak that in. You need to circle that, believe that, get it tattooed on your leg. As much as God loves Jesus, Jesus loves you. That enough will change your life. Amen? Like If you believe that, n- n- you don't even need anything else. That will be enough to change your life forever. You don't have to go looking for love anywhere else in all the wrong places because as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide or remain in my love. How do we do that, Jesus? If you keep my commandments, that 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 means don't don't just know what I said, don't just uh, memorize what I said. Obey what I said. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And here it is, verse 11. All these things I have said, I've spoken to you that my joy, that Jesus' joy, his, his, his joyful disposition, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So angels show up, hey, we got good news, great joy to will be to all people. And then that baby grows up and he declares this. He says, Listen, I want my joy, the, the joy of God in the person of Jesus to be yours. I want your Jesus said this. Like he this is one of those promises that you're willing to, you need to be willing to, to lay hold of and claim. That my joy, he says, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How, Jesus, how, how, how do you fill our tanks of joy so we're joyful people no matter what takes place in our, in our health, in our marriages, in our lives with our kids? How do we have this joy that we're longing for and looking for? And Jesus connects it with abiding in him, a relationship with God the creator through Jesus Christ the Son, uh, that actual personal relationship where you pray to him, you listen to him, you get to know him, his spirit is in you, speaks to you ministers to you, you you learn to obey his word, and that abiding in Jesus is what Jesus says, I want you to know all these things so my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. It's not enough to just want to be saved and to think Christianity boils down to not being responsible for our sin anymore and not even being under the power of sin. Like the, the point of Christianity is for us to have a relationship with God through Christ that changes our lives forever. Jesus said it. He said that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Go back up to Luke chapter 2, verse 11. I want to end on this. Because not only we've talked a lot about what does it mean that Jesus is a Savior. He saves us from the power of Satan. He saves us from uh, the penalty of our sin. He saves us from the power of sin. He saves us oftentimes from ourselves. Uh, He's a Savior. But he's not just a Savior. He says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means the anointed one, the, the the Messiah, the one that all of the Old Testament has been looking forward to. Jesus is him; he fits the bill. He's the one that Isaiah talks about. He's the one that Genesis three talks about. He's the promise of all of the human race. He is the promise. He says, "Jesus, he, he's the the Savior, Christ, and then the Lord. The Lord means the boss or the ruler, and this balances out the idea of a Savior because it, I think." Isn't it easy for us to want a Savior, but not really to want a Lord? It, it, the angels come and they declare that it, it's both. Jesus is a Savior, but he's also a Lord, and he wants to be in charge and needs to be in charge. Listen, if you want peace in your life, let Jesus run it. If you want joy in your life, yield to him and let him rule your life he's a he's a better boss over our lives than we are and in a culture like ours that is so polarized everything it just like it, it, everything is so polarized we know this politically things are polarized trying to understand a virus things are polarized Should we wear masks or not it's like just polarized and so what people want to do with jesus and i get this, these questions all the time people want to figure out what 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 side is jesus on Is he a Republican or a Democrat? I'm like, I think he's a libertarian. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Like, like what side is Jesus on? Is he he for the wall or is he against the wall? Uh, Is he for immigration or against it? It's like everybody wants Jesus to fit in a nice little camp. And this is the idea. If Jesus is the Lord, he didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. That he 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 he's risen above all of the ways that we try to separate things, and we don't need to just fit him into a little box. We need to yield to him as the Lord. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord. So one of the keys to your your hope, your peace, your joy, love in your life is to not just embrace him as a savior, but to embrace him as your Lord. And if he truly is what he says he is, who he says he is, he's a God of love, he's a God of compassion, he's a God of peace and joy, that is the greatest decision you could make, is to yield your life and control of your life to Jesus Christ the Lord. I wish we had more to the story about what happened with these shepherds and how they responded and what they did with Jesus I don't have all of those details. Maybe we'll get them in glory someday. Um, But uh, you get to decide uh, what you will do with Jesus. What you will do with the Savior who was born that day for you in the city of David. He's a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. I want to encourage you to... Embrace Him as a Savior, confess your sin to Him, ask Him to forgive you, ask Him to break the chains of sin in your life so that you are no longer held by them. Uh, walk uh, with Him, learn to pray, learn to listen, learn to abide in Him, learn to obey His commands, and He'll truly unlock uh, joy in your life like I believe He, he, he said he ca- He's came to do. That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray towards that end. Jesus, Help us to see you as as joyful. Jesus, help us to see you as you truly are, as a God that uh, that took on flesh, that became a human, that was born like us, that was filled with joy on a mission to give us your joy, to fill our joy. God, I just pray for anyone in this room that maybe has heard about you but has never truly put their faith in you, that they would do that, that you would be their Savior today. Save them. Father, I pray for those who are struggling with the effects of sin in their lives today, that you would give them the power through your Spirit in them to break the chains. That they're no longer a slave to sin. That they're slaves to God and to righteousness. Father, I pray that you would teach us in a very, very busy and complicated world to slow down and to daily abide in you. Sometimes the enemy of our joy is just simply our schedule that we don't take the time to pause and to abide in You. And So God, help us to abide in You and to fulfill Your commandments, to obey what what You've said and what You've told us to do, that our joy may be full. Father, I truly pray, God, for anyone in this room that just is not in a place where they feel Your joy, that You would deliver it to them. Would You fill them up with the joy of Christ? Thank You for a chance to celebrate what You've done through Your coming. We love you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.